You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. God never prepared damnation for man. And he's done everything he can do that nobody has to go there. The same as he did in the judgment of Noah's day, the ark was big enough for every single person living in that time to get in the ark. They just made the wrong decision. Only eight people made the right decision. And then he says to the lost, for I was hungry, you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. God is speaking to you, but are you listening? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Danny, he shares with you that God's desire is that none should perish, but that all would come to saving knowledge of Him. God never prepared damnation for man. He's always provided a choice to follow after Him and to have life. However, we see time and time again throughout the scriptures that people turn aside and follow their own path. Pastor Danny encourages you to make the choice to follow after Christ today. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 John chapter 4 with today's edition of The Living Word. left off chapter 4, 1 John, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He initiated the love. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete among us or complete in us. Now, in this study, we've already talked a lot of practical issues in regard to love. One particular message, 1 John 3, verses 11 through 24 we looked especially at very practical ways that we should love one another as Christians. And just a reminder, it's the number one evidence that we're truly Christ's disciples. That's what Jesus himself said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Then verse 13, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we've talked about that already in our study. That's one of the genuine evidences or evidences of a genuine believer. You have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are God's child. Then verse 14, and we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And he says it again, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us 
so that we will, have, we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. We've also talked about that. Uh, another verse says if we're really genuine, that we will walk as Jesus did. And we looked at practical ways that is worked out and what it looks like. And here's really the focus in this section uh, in the context of the love of God is verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Just note, fear does not go easily. It's driven out because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. That ties in with verse 17, that his love is made complete among us. And the idea of both of those uh, Greek words, it's a progressive thing. It doesn't happen all at once. But the more the love of God is made complete in my life as a Christian, the less I'll fear. And certainly I won't fear punishment and judgment. Last few verses. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. There John goes. He just doesn't waste words. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so the context is the love of God, but the specific focus, verse 18, that perfect love drives out fear. Now, we'll all know this, but I need to say it anyway. Some fear is not bad. It's good. Okay? Uh, the fear that causes you to flee from danger is a good fear. For example, if you think you can walk out on US 19 when the light is green and all the cars are coming and you think, well, I'm not afraid. No, you're stupid. <laughs> Acts 5.11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The events they heard about specifically was Ananias and Sapphira. God took their lives because they lied to the Holy Spirit. And even the church, there was a fresh, holy fear. They weren't fearing hell. They weren't fearing that God's going to damn them. But they went, whoa, our father, he's serious about this thing, about lying to him. Let me read you one more. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Again, it's a holy fear, godly fear. Now, if someone is not saved, and, and there are different terms the Bible uses for salvation, you know, being born again, that's the initial uh, step to be saved, that you won't be damned, that you're not headed for uh, the place called hell, you're headed for heaven. Uh, but if you're not saved, listen, this ought to be your greatest fear. This ought to be man's greatest fear, and that is fear of judgment and punishment after the judgment. Hebrews 13, 31. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's talking about somebody who, who's not saved. Dreadful thing. Dreadful. Jesus said this, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus said that. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but listen, everyone has an innate sense regarding eternity. Everybody. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Uh, he, God, has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Every single person ever born. The creator, the creator put within us, every man, every woman, every person, an innate sense. We know 
we know that death is not the end. Now, we might not know, depending on how, where we grew up and what kind of teaching we had, we might not know what's after death, but we know something is because the creator put that in us. Everybody's going to stand before God on a future day of judgment. Every person, saved and unsaved. Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. Now, that's believer and unbeliever. That's saved and unsaved. The, for the Christian, it's at the judgment seat of Christ. And we're not judged in regard to whether we're saved or not there. We're already saved. We've already applied the blood. We've received Christ. We'll be judged based on our, our service. One of the verses in the letter to the Corinthian church tells us that some people will lose reward because of failure in the Christian life, yet they'll be saved. And it actually, it actually basically says some people are just going to get in by the skin of their teeth just, be, just by faith in Christ, but they're not going to have a real, hey, welcome, good to see you. I mean, good to see you, but it'll be, it'll be disappointing from the standpoint that they failed in their Christian life and they lost reward that they could have had. They may not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And unbelievers are going to stand at the great white throne judgment. Now, why, why do they call it the great white throne? Seminaries, theological circles call it the great white throne judgment. Well, go with me to Revelation chapter 20, and you'll see right away why they call it the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20, verse 11. John writes, and he says, Then I saw a great white throne. Great white throne judgment. And him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, those who were kings in this life, those who were rich, and those who were nobodies and paupers, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? God's recording things. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Fascinating. Uh, Christians, if Jesus tarries, we'll only die once. Unbelievers will die twice. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Other places it's called the Lamb's Book of Life, appropriate slope, appropriate, appropriately so, uh, because Jesus is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. But it's only applied if you receive him. It's a gift that has to be received. Now, some people can read verses like this or hear somebody uh, talk about it, teach on it, preach about it, and they go, I just, I, I don't believe that kind of stuff. You better be right. You better be right. Because if it's true and it's what the Bible says, I got to tell you, I have a hard time still today when I sit and really think about eternal damnation for those who don't know Christ as Savior. I have a hard time coming to terms with that. But it's clearly what the Bible teaches. It's clearly what the Bible teaches. Jesus is the appointed judge in both of these judgments. Acts, listen, just listen. Acts chapter 10, verse 42 he commanded us to preach to the people to people, and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead, referring to Jesus Christ. Acts 17, 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. We have no doubt who that is. 
That's Jesus. He's the judge at both of these. Turn with me just for a minute. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is speaking here, and listen to what he says. Verse 31, when the Son of Man, messianic title for Christ, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right, those who are saved. He'll put the goats on his left, those who are not saved. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he gives evidences of their salvation. They're not saved by works, but their works show that they're genuine. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink, etc., etc. Then verse 41, he will say those to those on his left, those who are not saved, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. God never prepared damnation for man. And he's done everything he can do that nobody has to go there. The same as he did in the judgment of Noah's day, the ark was big enough for every single person living in that time to get in the ark. They just made the wrong decision. Only eight people made the right decision. And then he says to the lost, for I was hungry, you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. Verse 46 is sobering. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There are some teachings out here that say, oh, yeah, God's going to judge. But in the judgment of the unbeliever, the one who is not saved, they just kind of get burned up and they're no more. There's no more consciousness. That's not what the Bible says. It's the contrast of eternal life and eternal punishment. Again, I have a hard time coming to grips with that, but that's what it says. That's what it says. Now, that's pretty heavy. So let me tell you this little story. On the outskirts of a small town, there was a huge pecan tree. In my old South Carolina vernacular, it was a pecan tree. And it still gets interchanged depending on what day it is and what happens with my tongue. There's a huge pecan tree just inside the cemetery fence. One day, two guys filled up a bucket with nuts and sat down by the tree out of sight and began dividing them. One for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. Some of the pecan nuts rolled down toward the fence. A boy came riding along on his bicycle, and as he passed, he heard voices inside the cemetery, so he slowed down to investigate. And here's what he heard. One for you, one for me. One for you. One for me. And he just knew instinctively what it was. So he quickly hopped on his bike and he rode off as fast as he could. He rounded a corner. He was met by an old man with a cane hobbling along. He stopped and he said to the man, you won't believe what I heard down by the cemetery. Satan and the Lord are down there dividing up the souls. <laughs> the man then hobbled along, following the boy to the cemetery. When they arrived, they stood by the fence. And sure enough, they both heard, one for you. One for me. The old man whispered to the boy, boy, you were telling the truth. Now let's see if we can get a peek at the Lord. And as they tried to peer through the fence, they could still see nothing. Then all of a sudden they heard, one for you, one for me. That's all. Now let's go get those nuts down by the fence and we'll be done. 
They say the old man made it back to town a full five minutes ahead of the boy on the bike. That lightened things up a little bit, didn't it? One of the main reasons people are afraid to die is fear of judgment. Hebrews 2.14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I used to be afraid to die. It didn't happen every time, but it happened on a number of occasions. I'd be in the car, I'd be partying on my way to the party if you know what I mean. Had the eight track in. If you don't know what that is, come afterwards. We'll explain it to you. It's how we played music in those days. And I had the Doobie Brothers or ZZ Top in, you know. And all of a sudden, I'd get this thought as I'm partying on my way to the party. And I knew about Jesus Christ. And I knew that if I died that night, I was lost. I knew it. And I was afraid. You know, you know, you know what I did in those times? I turned ZZ Top up louder. Interesting verse, 2 Peter 3, verse 5. They deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. But these waters, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, Noah. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. I knew that was true, but I, didn't, I, wanted to, I wanted as much as possible to get that out of my mind. I wanted to forget about that. I wanted to party. But then on those occasions where I, I really thought about it, and I thought, if I die, if I die now, if I die today, I'll never get another chance. There is no such thing as purgatory. I don't know if that offends anybody. I'm just telling you, there's no, there is no halfway house between here and hell that you can get out of. It's just not true. It's not true. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. But here's the good news. We don't have to fear future judgment. Oh, let me read you some tremendous, tremendous scriptures. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all of sin. And fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate, demonstrate his justice. He judged Jesus so we wouldn't have to be judged. Because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Fascinating. Judge Jesus so I wouldn't have to be judged. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I got peace with God. There are no issues with me and God in terms of future judgment. I'm not worried about it at all. I don't always have the peace of God, but I have peace with God. Romans chapter 8. Verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
How can you get better than that? 2 Corinthians 5.21 is one of my favorite, favorite verses in all the Bible. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In John chapter 5, Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Catch this verse. Say it with me. Come on, everybody say it. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't that tremendous? Man, what a different view you have after you're saved. I remember it like it was yesterday, 19 years old. I received Christ, and that night I laid my head on the pillow, and I didn't worry if I didn't wake up here. I knew where I was headed. And I've laid my head on the pillow every night since with that same peace. I know where I'm going. Because Jesus took my punishment. And so I don't fear punishment. He took it. There will be no punishment for me. Or anybody that knows Christ. Paul put it this way. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. There's no reason for me to stay here except to continue to be a witness for Christ, to continue to minister as a pastor and love my family, my wife and family. If it's not for that, when my time is done, better by far to be there than here. I cannot give you the GPS coordinates, but there is a place. There is a real place in the heavenlies. And Jesus is there. And my grandmother is there. And my mother is there. And my friend Ed is there. It's a real place. And I'm going there can't believe it. I'm going there. And probably a lot of you. But I wonder if everybody here right now, I wonder if everybody listening and watching by modern technology we call live stream, I wonder if you're listening now. I wonder if you have that assurance. If not, he took the punishment. All you got to do is receive him. That's all you got to do. If that's you, the Holy Spirit's the one bringing that conviction. The Holy Spirit's the one drawing you to Jesus. You just pray this from your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Forgive me. Come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Now help me to live for you the rest of this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, you prayed that prayer and you were sincere. You need to tell somebody before you leave here. Seal the deal. You don't have another Christian brother or sister that you can tell. You come down and introduce yourself to one of our prayer team after the service. Say, my name is so-and-so. I prayed to receive Christ. Jesus said, you confess me before men, I'll confess you. You deny me before men, I'll deny you. Seal the deal. Go ahead and tell somebody today. Now, once you deal with the greatest fear, This ought to be the greatest fear, the fear of judgment, the fear of punishment. Once you've dealt with that, once you have peace with God through Christ, then as a Christian, God wants to have his love made complete. That's a progressive thing. And the more his love is made complete in my life as a Christian, the less I fear. Oh, man, is this good. You know how many fears there are? There's tons of them. I mean, afraid of heights, afraid of water. Afraid of being closed in small spaces. Uh, Abluthophobia. I don't know how we miss that when it's supposed to be on here. Kids sometimes have that when it's a fear of bathing. 
Acoustophobia is a fear of noise. Uh, Agrusophobia is a fear of animals, wild animals. And uh, I mean, one, the, the last one there, you know what that one is on the bottom? It's a fear of hair. And if you have a fear of hair, hang around people like me. You know what this one is? Fear of church. You know what this one is? A fear of sermons. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. Thanks for tuning in. John the Apostle had a unique relationship with Jesus, and it shows in his writing. He knew Jesus in a personal way, and John knew him to be God. Sometimes it's hard to tell what's real in this world. But as John wrote, Jesus is the real deal. As we continue to journey through the book of 1 John, evaluate your own relationship with Jesus. Do you know him in a deep and personal way? Do you know him to be the real thing? If you're struggling with this, spend time in the Word and ask the Lord to reveal Himself to you. We also encourage you to keep seeking Him, and we'll continue to pray for you as you grow in your faith. Would you also be willing to pray for us here at The Living Word? As our ministry grows, we want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and foremost too. Thank you so much for praying. If you're looking for a church home and live in or near the St. Petersburg area, we want to connect with you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We also live stream our services. Find out more at ccfstpete.church. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. And with that, we hope you'll join us again next time to learn more from the book of 1 John right here on The Living Word.